We're back with another episode of the NES Experience. Thanks to everyone who tuned in and listened to the last episode. Uh, thanks for coming back, listening to this one. We're going to talk about football in-season training, uh, lifting, recovery, uh, hydration, cramping, kind of what to do if that happens to you on the field. And since we're in the middle or the beginning of baseball offseason, really, uh, we're going to talk about prepping and improving your measurables for next season, what you should do there. Uh, but before all of that, uh, since Ned's kind of a big reflection guy, we're going to kind of take a second and reflect on how the first podcast went and how we did. Uh, so, yeah, Ned, you want to take it away? Thank you, Tay. As charismatic as ever. Um, so we completed the first podcast. Uh, as as Tay said, I am a big reflection guy. So, uh, you know, when I coach groups on a daily basis after the group ends, I'm looking at, you know, athletes' personalities. How hard did they work? How good was the program that I wrote? Um, generally, I'm always reviewing and seeing, you know, what went right, what went wrong. What things can I change? Ultimately, whether it's writing a program or training athletes or doing any job, uh, you generally want to make adjustments and and do better next time. So now we're on podcast three. I'm um, basically a pro. Uh, in my reflection of the first pod, first and second podcast, uh, very monotone, but everybody knows that I'm monotone uh, all over the place, but everybody knows I'm all over the place. So... Uh, it was rough. Uh, I didn't cuss enough. Hopefully, I could change that in this podcast. Um, but overall, I like the content. Um, I do think it's going to be really good for the interns. And it gives you, I mean, I think we covered some good topics that actually will help people if they could bear through uh, the 20 minutes that it took me to answer each individual uh, question that came up. So. Um, the, we're going to start when we were talking about content and what to do, I was telling Tay that we want to, I like keeping stuff current. So things that are going on in my life and athletes and sports that I'm training, I figure there's a good carryover and, you know, we're going to talk about in season football training today and everything around it. Um, I think that it, it's going to be good because it's relevant. So whether if you're playing football right now, this applies to you. That's a pretty big audience, no matter how boring I am, correct? Oh, yeah. Big high school, college, pro. I mean, Pop Warner, AYF. So I have athletes at every level from Pop Warner. I mean, not a lot, only a couple, eighth grade, middle school type stuff. And then obviously we have high school going on. I have my athletes that are, some of them are doing remote with football. And, you know, I'm going through their season, how everything is going. And then at the pro level. So no matter what level, you know, even at the youngest age, that middle school window, you, you generally should have a plan. So, and you should, you know, learning at the eighth, seventh and eighth grade level is going to reinforce, you know, healthy habits, if you want to call them practices. So really, um, even, you know, at a scaled down level for the eighth grade middle school kids, I mean, this is something that could be taken away, you know, for all, all levels. So we're going to talk about uh, lifting um, and what you should do and not do and kind of what happens with your body um, during an in-season. We're going to talk about recovery um, and how to take your body. And, you know, it's football, so you're going to get injuries. Um, 
So we're going to cover that and kind of what to do. So with lifting, the goal with lifting, um, number one, so let's break some things. Can't lift three, four days a week during an in-season for lifting. Um, you have to really, you know, you're looking at one lift a week. So some of this is out of your control. If your high school lifts, you just have to hope that they're doing the right things and, you know, that might happen or might not. But, you know, if I'm in control of a football player for their end season completely, you know, we're lifting once a week, we're keeping it short, 30 to 45 minutes. Um, we're doing, you know, lower taxing double leg and double arm stuff, unlike an off season where we focus more on single leg strength and single arm. We're trying to minimize strength loss, minimize power loss, minimize weight loss for the weight gain guys. So what we're doing is, you know, trying to stay as healthy as possible, reduce the amount of injuries and minimize the amount of, you know, strength loss during in season. You cannot get stronger in your in season. Maybe if you're 14 and you're hitting a hormonal puberty surge in that exact three month window, you could get stronger. But if you know, there's a lot of research that shows that, you know, really it's how much, how close to even can you come out at the end? Um, <clears throat> so, you know, types of lifting stuff, we're not trying to go heavy rep ranges are typically four sets of five or six and it's submaximal. Um, we're, we're doing low level core progressions. We don't want to do advanced pelvic stabilization exercise that increase the risk of injury. These guys are banged up. What, what would some of those exercises be like that you want to stay away from? Um, you would want to stay away from heavy cleans. And really catching a bar, um, if you want to break the sport of football down, if you look at what they're doing, even to like a positional level, linemen, linemen and the nature of their sport, their wrists and shoulders get destroyed. So why would I do a catch of a hang clean, which further irritates all the, the, the injuries and bruises and bang ups that are already occurring in their sport? So, you know. By just doing a pull and not a catch, you know, I'm allowing them to produce, you know, a, with a lighter weight because you're not trying to do heavy cleans. Um, you know, so if you were going to do that, you know, that's generally, you know, that's an example. Um, things you don't want to do. You don't want a one rep max. You should never one rep max. You should never go heavy. Every Nothing should be max efforts. You shouldn't be doing your five rep max, three rep max. That maximal strength should occur, you know, right before your season starts. We uh we used to test our one rep max around week eight I think actually uh I remember I think our center like set some kind of a single foot elevated split squat record like week eight of our season. Mm, makes sense. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't funny. He put like a bunch of weight vests on. He was like some four hundred something pound. I think it was four hundred five or four twenty five. So. Hey, well, that's good leg strength, but uh, single leg strength. But no, that's kind of counterproductive that we're trying to do, because ultimately the reason why we're doing, you know, an annual plan and planning, preparing and doing all these various things is to perform at the highest level. So heavy lifting, the craziest one is I had somebody tell me that they did 10 sets of 10 squats. We'll leave this. We'll leave this school nameless uh, the day before, you know, the day before their first game. Ooh. Yeah. Like, how could they walk? Exactly. So um, I was actually able to find out the information. One of the parents actually had communications with their student athlete and the student and their their kids said, 
Yeah, we were doing 10 sets of 10. He went into the little, I forgot what it's called, Fitness Finder, their little app. And it was true. And the dad actually went to the strength coach, which you should not do, parents. Never do that. Um, understandable that they're hurting your child. But unfortunately, you know, it doesn't look too good. So the end result is he questioned it. The guy didn't have an answer. Um, and it went away. But if you can control it at all, you're, you would want to, you know, not go that heavy. Well, like, was the kid playing in the game the next day? I mean, he was playing in the game the next day. He was not. So I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm not against, if you're somebody that's not getting any reps, um, in high school and you're young, you're 14, 15, you know, you would, this is where, you know, and if you're not, I mean, you can go heavier, you can be more aggressive because, your gameplay doesn't affect the outcome of the game on that day. So I'm giving more generalizations. Really, everybody is, if you're really doing things the right way, everything is a case-by-case basis. So you're, if you look at the NFL, I mean, there's guys that don't practice at all throughout the week, and they just go out there and play. And they do that because why re-aggravate or risk something bad happening when ultimately the goal is to win the game? But it's harder to do that at the high school and at the college level. And it's out of your control to some capacity. So, um, I hope that helps for lifting. Don't do hardcore stuff. You know, don't do it's we're maintenance and we're doing one push, one pull You're benching and you're rowing your, you know, squatting or Bulgarian Bulgarians light with a light RDL. That's my total body lift. We're doing some, a you know low level core just to keep it active we're addressing you know what's going on with the joints that are hurt you know so if you have ankle sprains you're hopefully you're getting treatment this is something that nobody does which should be going to a physical therapist to get treatment to prepare you for your game but if you're not you know it's stretching your calves it's strengthening your anterior tab you know if the knee is your thing you're doing glute activation all low level you're doing physical therapy we're doing you should be doing physical therapy exercises, preventative called prehab, prehabilitation in your end season, just to keep the structure, just to keep everything active to reduce reduce the risk of injury. So from a lifting perspective, you know, total body workouts, keep it short, um, lower level stuff, more flexibility stuff, more mobility, more tissue work, um, and and keep it simple and, and quick and don't expect to, to get stronger. So that's the lifting. That's my recommendation for lifting. As far as recovery, um, you know, that's where it's more important. So, you know, a lot of these kids, I can't control what they do on their own. All I can do is give them tools for the toolbox. But you should be stretching every day. You should be stretching three to four times a day because there's the normal stretching after football practice to restore range of motion and to slow down the amount of soreness that you're getting from practice. And then there's the extra stretching you should be doing because, you know, you have an ankle issue or a knee or a hip or a shoulder. So, you know, doing tissue work to break up those knots and the trigger points from playing and then stretching those muscles extra to restore length to help, you know, with the injury that you have. Um, you know, if you're this, this, I could do a whole nother podcast on, on icing everything. But, um, if you do get an injury, the, the, the best way for it to go away is not just by icing it routinely. So 
Tay, have you always used ice repeatedly? Uh, I mean, it depended a lot on the injury, uh, but yeah, usually not. If it was something I was trying to come back from, like it just happened or I'm on like on, on the sideline or, you know, you're trying to play the next week, we'd, we'd actually heat it up uh, instead of icing it to just try and like keep it loose. But if it was like something severe, you know, just really depended. Took a lot of ice baths after uh, practice. Okay. Yeah. So the good news is they were kind of, they kind of did things right. And that's rare. So that's you're a, like a five percenter. So ice should only be used as pain management. You want to use it. It's fine to use. Just know that when you're using ice, it's to l- decrease blood flow and and make it, it you know feel better. That's not repairing and recovering and reducing inflammation. Um, this is not netology. This is I used to be the biggest ice guy. Foot ice baths, which I still do occasionally. Full body ice bass, ice it up, ice it up, ice it up, ice, ice, ice. And then Drew, my brother from another mother, this is a shout out, PTSM Affiliates, the best PT in the state of Connecticut, Drew Gallagher. He works on all my guys. Um, he He's like, Ned, new research. This was like 10 years ago. And I was like, okay. And then I read it all. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense. So ice, if you're trying to decrease inflammation and repair if you're always icing and reducing blood flow, which carries the hormones and nutrients and all the various various things that you need to do to reduce inflammation and speed up recovery time, ice is slowing the process down. So, you know, look, if you have a torn ACL, this is a diff- completely different category. Um, and But, you know, generally, immediately after the game, ice is fine. That night, depending on what's going on, you know, if it's my, like my groin's tight, like, Putting ice on it is going to make your groin even more tight. So really what you want to use is heat. So the first 24 hours, and you could Google all this. Don't quote me on these exact timetables, but generally we do 24 to 36 hours of ice. And then after that, we're heat basically from that period of time until game day. With the heat, warm, moist heat, um, generally 15 to 20 minutes on the muscle and then switch off to normally there's multiple injuries. So switch off to an, a different muscle, you know, for 20 minutes or put it on the muscle for 20 minutes, take it off for 20 minutes. So that creates, it heats it up. Now we're, now we're getting blood flow to the area. We're getting hormones to get in there to decrease the inflammation and we're addressing the problem. Um, and then how long do you do that hour to two hours, multiple times a day? So he, I mean, you very rarely get people to be like, man, I heated that. It feels like shit now. So heat generally feels good and that's, you know, the move that you want to make. So get off the ice, get on the heat. Every athlete in the United States should have a heating pad. It's, you know, is, and most people do, but they don't always use it. So I like to pair the heat with, you know, some low level stretching. So once you're going to get a better stretch out of a muscle, if it's, you know, if it's all heated up and there's blood flow to the area, um, So that is something from a recovery injury standpoint. So I already talked about with the lifting, how we work in, you know, flexibility and mobility. So we're, you should be doing a lot of stretching. You should be on the foam roll. I mean, we have so many tools now that there's no excuse. So, I mean, in our, in my own facility, I have seven different ways for you to do tissue work. 
you know, we have a hypervolt, which everybody, the little guns that you put it on and massage the area. Uh, we have foam rolls. We have all the Accu, uh, we have something called the AccuMob that I just got um, that really digs in there and breaks up tissue. So fun fact, you can stretch a muscle till the cows come home. If you don't get the knot out of the muscle, you're not going to get the ultimate length that you need for the muscle. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so you want to roll first, then stretch. You don't just want to stretch. They work together. They work hand in hand to get the most benefit. You want to roll, then stretch. And this is all stuff that everybody's done a whole bunch of research. Really, it comes down to not that we don't necessarily know what to do, but are we motivated enough to do it? So if you look at my professional athletes, I have some very highly motivated professional athletes that will do anything to get a competitive advantage. And they've gotten to the level where they're at specifically because they've take they've taken every tool I've ever given them and they've applied it into what they do. So it's I see, you know, freshman football players that do nothing. And I see a guy in in that plays professional ball do it all. So for me, it's just like I would do whatever I need to do. You know, why play football if you're gonna be lazy? So stretching mobility is big as far as what types of stretches to do. I'm not going to talk about that because you can't see me anyways. But we do. If you look at our gram story on Insta, um, you see what we do every day. And you don't see, you know, you won't necessarily see the football players in there because they have practice. But we put mobility and stretching type stuff and some of the devices that we use for tissue work. You can see that on there and you could always reach out and ask me. I will tell you. So that kind of covers, you know, the treatment, get treatment. This is a big thing. Get treatment. Hopefully you have a good PT. If you have injuries, get them fixed. Going back off of our first podcast, you're building a portfolio. You're building a resume. Your film is your resume. If you are not your body, if you're at 70%, your film's at 70%. So you have to do anything possible to get to 100% to go on there and you need 10 highlights, five highlights because you're building this whole thing and that's what you're sending to coaches. So why wouldn't you do whatever you could possibly do to make your, put your body in a position to perform best, to get the highlights, to get the coaches to see it, to get you an offer. So um, I'm not going to go into, you know, cause I can't be a pill pusher Advil. I'm not really going to talk about, you know, that, but if you are not, you know, Advil is okay. It is a little overrated. The research that I read says that Advil doesn't even really help. It's that's a pain management thing. I still incorporate it a little bit depending on the situation. You would want to talk to your medical doctor uh, <laughs> for that because NES is not trying to catch a lawsuit. So does that all make sense? Yeah, no, that, that definitely does make sense. And then drink with it. Excessive drinking. This is going to go into my cramping rant. But you don't, you know, drink water. So you don't, you you don't want a forty-four ounce Coke. So that might not be the most, op, you know, it's. I don't want to say common sense. So you'd want to do water. You would want to do like a G two, a diluted carbohydrate solution, um, coconut milk or coconut or not coconut milk, coconut water. Um, th- these things that I'm telling you now, it's now we're diving into the whole cramping and hydration thing. Not excessive amounts. It's a bottle, you know. 
Um, because if you're doing what you do the night before, which I'm going to go into later, you don't need the excessive amounts of liquid before. You just need to be hydrated. You don't need to be saturated. <clears throat> um, and what I, we started to get into this season, I mean, kids were getting saturated. Yeah, you can't hydrate yourself in like three to four hours or like the night before. It, it, it takes days. It's a process. I mean, I'm not sure on that. So, I mean, I think you could to some level, but my point, my takeaway is kids are like, I drank nine bottles of Pedialyte. Why am I puking today? It's just like, why you drink? Maybe because you drank nine bottles of fucking Pedialyte. So the answer is another thing I get. How much water should I drink a day? Here's one for you real quick. It's take your body weight. We'll say I'm 250, which I'm not. Uh, divide it in half. So I should have 125 ounces of water in a day. So the concept of should I drink a gallon a day? You see guys with gallon jugs walking around all the time. Very common. So there's 128 ounces of water in a gallon. Um, So if you're a 260-pound guy, yes, you want to walk around and you want to drink a gallon a day. Um, but I see guys that are like 130 that are drinking a gallon. Look, I mean, it's fine. You want to drink a gallon a day? That's fine. But my point is that gives you a range. So that day before, if you're not excessively sweating and you're drinking, you know, half of your body weight in ounces of water, I'm 200 pounds, 100 ounces of water, um, 300 pounds, 150 ounces of water. If you do that, you don't need to pile on top of everything the night before. And if you're starting that normal process through your debt of game day, you can elevate it a little bit, you know, and front load it in the morning. That's okay. But drinking a gallon of water before the game, you're just going to be pissing every seven seconds. And most of the stuff that we take in anyway, your body only absorbs water 50% of anything that you take in. Um, so you're not, you know, you you definitely, you got to plan and prepare, but the, the concepts of massive amounts of Gatorade and electrolytes and all this stuff, you know, right before a game you just need to be hydrated you don't need to be saturated i like that i'm going to start using that yeah that's a good one um so that spills into four which is cramping um and this is something that we're dealing with we've always so i'm in my i believe my sixth year of hamden hall um and we've been dealing with cramping for a long time so i want to talk about cramping and kind of explain to people you know, some stuff that they do or don't know, but there's no known cause for cramping. Did you know that? I, I didn't. I actually thought it was caused by dehydration. Right. So according to research, there's no known cause. Part of the reason why is they can't do a lot of research on it because you can't control when someone's going to cramp. I guess theoretically, you could just have a dude run on a treadmill for endless amounts of time. Then he says cramp. Then you got to stick the muscle and do all your tests. And, and for whatever reason... I mean, there's a whole bunch of people doing research. They can't get it. So it's it's a really hard thing to try and figure out. With all the research that's not testing that they're trying to do, and they're, you know, you got all these smart guys trying to come together. So there's things that they feel that are, we'll call it trends. So it's most common in football players. Um, they know that because they could say they just took every sport and, and took percentages. So it's most common in football players. They do believe that an increase, like that temperature can trigger it, but it's not a cause because 
in Russia, dudes are cramping up or whatever. Pick your favorite super, super cold place where it's never warm. So weather, weather isn't, you know, the cause. Um, they can't test what's going on in the muscle because that's, you know, shit that we already went over. Um, and then, but what they do know is that excessive amounts of liquid doesn't prevent it. They are, they try to say that being dehydrated might, a whole bunch of mites and kindas and swifts and uh, turns, you know, they're saying that if you are dehydrated, but you're just dumb if you just don't ever drink. I mean, how is your body going to perform if you never drink anything anyway? So we're looking at like a super low different spectrum. Um, so, you know, what do we try to do? Um, so excessive, oh, um, excessive salt. So this was the kids on the sideline shooting mustard and pickle juice and all that stuff. That's not fact. That's that's basically myth. So there's no research that supports that having a whole bunch of salt, pickle juices, and what's still being done, even at the NFL level, pickle juice packets, people are making a whole bunch of money off this. Um, that doesn't that doesn't cure cramps. There's no research to support that excessive amounts of salt, you know, do. So that's what we that's what we have. That's kind of, you know, now we gotta say, well, what do we do? So here is my analysis. I already went over some of it. Make sure you're hydrated the night before. Don't drink excessive amounts, you know, generally. There's no correlation with what you eat generally. I mean, you bananas, potassium, blah, blah, blah. Well, that goes into the electrolyte thing. So don't smash nine bananas. You can have a banana, but don't expect the banana to be your savior. Um, you know, make just make sure you're hydrated when you get in there. Now, something that we started... Uh, years ago with our state championship teams is one of our coaches gave us a recommendation um, and, and we started using something called Enduralites by Hammer Nutrition. I am not receiving a penny for this endorsement. Um, this is a product that we use. We have five years of, of you know experiences and data with us. So what we've found is I've found that uh, while also... Some people have cramp problems. Some people never have cramp problems. So it's not even like all these football players are going out there and they're all having problems. You're either kind of predisposed to having these issues, assuming you're doing everything that you can do. You might be a cramp guy. You can't. And the one other bullet point I didn't tell you was high motor. The guys that, you know, heavy physical exertion guys that are always on the field we found are more likely to have those issues, which we're having this year. Anyways, Enduralites, uh, you can uh, Google it. It's basically, it's an electrolyte pill. Uh, I'm, it's not drugs. It's not steroids. I had one, one athlete say, oh, is that nitric oxide? I'm like, I mean, what? So apparently people are taking, so nitro, nitric oxide is something that's in pre-workouts. It's, uh, it's, it helps with blood flow. So I don't know why they're taking it, but apparently some people are just taking nitric oxide. I mean, people take all types of stuff, energy drink and stuff before games, but which I'm going to save that rant for a different time. But this is just a concentrated electrolyte. So this is like Pedialyte in a pill, Gatorade in a pill. Uh, what we found is it, it helps delay. So some people take it, they just don't have any cramps, but we don't know. I'm not, I don't have enough time in my day 
to write down each individual person and what their you know predisposition is for cramping. So some kids just routinely take it and it's been a part of the thing and they never have cramps, but they could have been a non-cramp guy. But what we found is that guys with cramps, um, this at the minimum delays when it happens. You start having cramping problems in the first quarter, you're going to have more problems than if you can delay it to the end of the third quarter. So since we've been having our guys on it now, you know, we're noticing, you know, some people it's eliminated the problem. Some people it's delayed, but I'm fine with the delay because the delay is better than the nothing. So we, you know, I'm teaching them and going over what they're supposed to eat, making sure they're hydrated. We use these pills. We warm up the right way. Um, and that's, you know, the, 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 the preparation and, and things that you should probably do. And then once you do have a cramp, that's a total different thing that I'm not going to go into. So, um, so what to do for lifting. We went over recovery, went over nutrition. We went over cramping, talked about some myths. I feel like football players now should have a good handle on what they're supposed to do in the end season. All right. So we checked that box, the, the, I don't know how long that took, uh, an intermediate amount of time, which is better than a completely long amount of times. So now what I'd like to do, it's baseball season. Yay. My baseball players are back. Yep. It is. Well, just ending baseball season, baseball off season. I'm sorry. It's yay. It's baseball off season. It's pretty much your season. It's my season. Yes. So all these guys are coming back. They're starting to trickle in um, at all levels. Some of the high school kids are starting to play fall ball. Um, the my college kids are finishing up their fall season, and then my pro guys. Now we get a, a, a exciting five month block of uninterrupted training, um, which is fantastic. So, um, if you are listening to this. There are a lot of baseball off-season programs that have that are very media-driven, and there's a lot of things going out. Ninety. Oh, I don't want to say specifics. There's a lot of remote programs that are going out there. If you've seen any of my posts or promotions and sponsored ads, I am. You know, I have people that do my remote program for baseball. Um, and it works and it's great. But part of the reason why it's great is they spent a lot of time in house to make sure that everything is done, you know, the best optimal way and it's safe. So we got to save that tangent for another time on remote training. Um, but what I want to talk about now is you're going to make a decision. You need to go to a place. Um, this is my opinion of, of what I feel should be incorporated into your program. Um, and this is what the things that we're trying to address. So, uh, when you look at baseball and recruiting, whatever level you're trying to go to, we are in an analytic driven, uh, measurable world and you can sit there and be against it. I'm actually not a humongous sabermetric guy. Uh, but you know, these kids, you know, you see, I've seen great ball players with not the best measurables that honestly have ended up going to the professional level and despite what their measurables are. But the reality of it is these coaches at all levels are now looking at these things. So what are they looking at? If I'm a baseball player and then we have a split position players and pitchers. So position players, if you're a position player, what do they care about? Exit velocity, how hard you hit a ball off a tee. Um, 
it is it is the number one. I don't want to say it's it's at the major league level from some of the people that I'm talking to. It's one of the it's the most the most and the and almost only important thing is being able to hit bombs. Yep. Yeah. It's just completely taken over the MLB. It seems. Yes. So with that being said, you could disagree with it. That's the way that it should be. Well, what about his stolen bases and on base percentage? And you could, I get it, but my job is to prepare an athlete to perform at the highest level and reach their goals and their measurables. So I am pleasing their employers that hopefully will give them an opportunity to shine. So exit velocity, how hard you hit the ball off the tee. Very important. Uh, 60 times speed kills. It's important. It happens. So there are baseline measurables that if you want to play, be a D1 baseball player and you are a middle infielder, you need to run between a generally a 6-6 and a 6-8. That doesn't mean that if you run a 6-8-5 that you won't be able to go there. But if it means that you're running a 7-2, it's not looking good, you know? Um, And then arm strength. So for position players, it's routinely tested, you know, throwing across the diamond, throwing from your position. So outfielders are getting measured from the outfield. Infielders are getting measured across the diamond. Pitchers are getting uh, measured off the mound. So those three things... um, you know, those are the three measurables that we focus on to make them where they need to be. So when they get looked at and evaluated, it's like, wow, he runs, you know, he runs, he's fast enough to play at this level. He hits the ball enough to play it, you know, hard enough to play at this level. And he throws the ball hard enough to play at this level. It's that simple. And then, you know, we have to do all those things. However, if we're hurt, then those things are going to be affected. So, you know, with baseball players, arm-related injuries, it's huge. Um, And part of us getting guys to throw harder, um, whether you're a pitcher or a position player, you know, having a really strong cuff and and stable shoulders and and those things. So we with injury prevention, when we're training the shoulder, um, the exercise is to help prevent injury, and it's also designed to help you throw harder. So we want, we, we, you know, analyze our guys, you know, see where their deficits are, their imbalances, make sure that we get them balanced and, and get their joints strong. And it's position by position. My basketball players, I really don't address, you know, shoulder stability. We do postural stuff. We do more pulls and pushes. And, but every sport has a different focus. And with baseball, unless they're a position player with severe ankle issues, then we'll work on the the shoulder and the ankle, um, but generally, with with throwing athletes, we're focused on the rotator cuff and then weight gain, weight loss, get lean. So I'm a masses gas guy to a point. Um, if you are a 150 pound pitcher and you want to throw harder, you're going to throw harder at 170 than 150. If you look at the major at the major league level, you don't see a, a lot of 160, 170 pound guys that throw really hard. You can always find an exception. Give me the exception. You probably hate him because you're a Yankee fan. No, no, he doesn't. This where does Chris Sale play now? No, he's he's still a Red Sox. Um, all right, so he's still with Boston. So he was. I mean, he got hurt, but I I was. Hey, about this, Ned was wrong. I said when that when as soon as I saw that kid in year one, year two, 
I said his arm's going to fall off. The long lens, no body weight, and he. I feel like he didn't get hurt for like, I don't know how long, five, seven years. So, I mean, I'm shocked. I was wrong. I was calling them like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But, you know, that type of build, you're more susceptible. The less weight you are, the less you use your legs, the more you use your upper body, the longer your limbs are, the you know, the more torque you're putting on on your joints, your elbow, and your shoulder, and the more problems that can occur. So this is specifically me talking about pitchers because I train a lot of pitchers. But you got to put on weight. And that's been, if we want to talk about the system and the sauce, and, and, and that is one of our biggest things at any sport. You you put if you weigh more, you're gonna lift more. There's a reason why I lift more than a hundred and fifty pound guy. I mean, there's hundred and fifty pound guys stronger than me, but in general, you know, big guys move big weights, little guys move some move big weights, but they don't move as big of weights typically. That's why there's weight classes, for God's sakes. So point being, that's a big thing. If you go to our our Insta, I do before and after pictures, and just to let everybody know, the 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 physical changes that these guys are experiencing is not because we're not designing a program to make you huge, like thing from the fantastic four where you can't wipe your own ass, their size. And you know, that's part of their goals and what they're trying to do. We're trying to build baseball players. If I was, so when you see these before and afters and you're like, they look pretty good, but this isn't crazy. A we're doing it the right way. We're not, I'm not telling them to flex in the after and look like a dumpy schmuck in the before these are just net generally natural you know photos but also our goal isn't just to make someone huge it's we're building athletes and we're making them faster in this process and throw a ball harder and and if you're a basketball but it plays a part so um we are we do a phenomenal job at getting kids everybody skinny kid that comes in i eat a whole bunch i, I eat a whole bunch i don't understand what's happening but Part of what we do is when you first start, I take pick you take pictures of everything you eat when you eat it for three days in your natural habitat. That's not the fake. And then this, you know, the guy that says I eat a ton, you eat eighteen hundred calories, <laughs> which is you know what a thirty-seven year old you know mom should have, you know, a semi-active mom. So you eat as much as a semi-active mom. But they don't know this. They feel like they're eating a lot because they have little stomachs and they fill up quick. So and, and they so you know ninety eight percent of the time they just aren't eating. So in the beginning, it's actually really easy. We do a weight gain shake with them. That's about thirteen hundred calories. Just making that adjustment alone allows us to get that half pound, three quarters of a pound, you know, a week that we're looking for. We can't put on can't put on twenty pounds in six weeks. But the part of the reason why I like to have athletes for a good block in the Aussies, especially if you're a weight gain guy, it's a process. So we spent, we'll spend six months, you know, that's 24 weeks with the goal of putting on 18 to 20 pounds. And it's a process. So if you can't give me six weeks, what are you going to get with six weeks? You're going to get five or six pounds. If you want to know how much weight you're going to gain, tell me how many weeks you're going to be able to dedicate to do this so we can do that. Because if you put on too much weight too quick, it's fake weight and it burns. And the nature of their metabolism, you're going to burn too much weight anyways. Or you're going to burn so many calories anyways. I mean, you're going to lose weight in the end season if you're a skinny, metabolic, 
3% body fat guy. So I went and talked too much about weight gain. So exit velocity is important. 60 time arm strength. Those are your three measurables. You've got to be on the field. So you have to, um, you know, we have to address the injury component, keeping you guys healthy. And then, you know, making those changes as far as I didn't even talk about the guys that need to lose weight. I get more guys that need to gain weight at this point in time and lose weight. So we're very, we're generally leanish um, for this season at NES. Baseball um, is nice because you can kind of get away with packing on the pounds in a few of the positions. You can, and you got the nice baggy uniforms. And uh, yeah, you could, you could, but if you're trying to play at the professional level, that's, you know, I mean, look, yeah, there's, there's some dumpy and far between, yeah. You know, and some guys, CC, he was somebody, Yankee fan. CC is a guy that he got worse when he got skinny. Yeah, CC needed to be on the hefty side to, to do what he needed to do. But when you're CC, you know, this approach, as, and this all goes back to, I don't create programs that are blanket, you know, where everybody does the same thing with this nutritional stuff. Everything has everything is a case by case scenario, and it depends what level you're at, what your genetic code looks like. It's not just everybody can eat one thing, which is why generally I don't do meal plans, uh, because depending on who you are, there's gonna it's gonna vary a good amount, and it's not practical to always eat on the meal plan. But when you're at the professional level, so I'm just working with uh, our NES recently drafted New York Met Justin Guerrera, so. He's a attention to detail guy and we're doing it acutely. And there's a lot on the line cause he's trying to play in the big leagues. You know, I'm doing meal planning for him. Um, but that's, it's just, it's literally, I told you before this, I'm like, I haven't written a meal plan, a meal plan, a diet quote unquote for somebody to follow in a lot of years because you're not always, it's very hard to just eat the same seven to 10 foods every day. You get, burned out and you end up gravitating towards the unhealthy stuff. So um, when we when an athlete comes in, we have to have a plan. Our plan, we use periodization or plan program design. This is where you're changing the intensity and the volume to elicit a response. So in the basic, most basic forms of periodization, you should, if you're going to a training place, they should be doing submaximal loads, light, uh, working on everything should be cued. There's a specific way to do every exercise in any type of, of movement. There's a right and wrong way to generally do that. Um, so you should be going lighter weights, more volume in the beginning, off season hypertrophy, getting size. And then towards when you're about to start your season, you should be doing heavier weights. That's periodization in a, you know, in the most dummy down fashion. So when an athlete comes in, if they come in for a six week, a six month off season, that is all broken down. That six months is broken down to monthly plans, and those monthly plans are broken down to weekly and then daily. Um, so whoever you're going with, they should have a plan um, to allow you to peak and perform at a high level for your season. And unfortunately, that's something. So a wad, a workout of the day. If you're if if the guy's coming in and just writing on a marker board. Uh, and doesn't actually create something. So that's just living day by day with no plan, which generally isn't that successful. So we we basically, this is when we're going to start. This is when we're going to finish. And then I'm building a plan according to, you know, who's in the room. So we uh, 
they come in, we go through the nutrition, they weigh in every week. We do three days of food journals. I mean, if, if you're working in off season place and they're not addressing your nutrition at all, there's a problem. So there's a optimal, there's foods to eat, to change your body composition, body comp. So if you look at our meal plans and our nutrition section on our website, it has, you know, what you should eat if you're trying to gain weight or what you should eat or not eat if you're trying to lose weight or get lean. So we're setting the fundament, fundamental basics of nutrition, teaching them what to eat before lift, what to eat throughout the day. And we're going over that. We body comp our athletes. If you are not getting a body comp, so if you're a guy that needs to lose weight or get lean and you're just going off of scale weight, not accurate. So you should get a body comp, fat mass, lean mass, body fat percentage. We test that every eight weeks to make sure the things that we're putting in um, is we're actually moving in the right direction. So this off season, you know, we're starting, you know, all the baseball guys that come in, we have to go through, you know, them nutritionally. When you look at the nuts and bolts of the program, um, you should be addressing total body strength. You can't get strong if you don't lift heavy weights. That doesn't mean you should one rep max every week. Um, we do pulls more than pushes. You want posturally to get that shoulder stability. You want to do, you know, a lot of pulling motions, um, single leg strength. When you run, when you push off the mound, everything that we're doing, we're, we're usually generating it with one leg loaded more than the other or off one foot. So one of the best ways to get faster is to lift single leg strength. Um, mobility and flexibility. So uh, throwing athletes need T-spine, thoracic cavity, rotation, and mobility. So they're starting to learn, you know, all those things. And then, you know, we're starting to address strengthening the rotator cuff and the scapular stabilizers, unlocking and stretching the chest and the traps and getting the shoulder in an optimal position to throw a baseball. That's a process. If you've never done this or if you've come from, you know, Guys, all they do is bench squat, clean, and deadlift. If you're in a program and you're a baseball player and you're doing bench squat, clean, and deadlift and you're catching bars, you're probably in the wrong place. It's not nutology. Go to guys that are doing things the right way. You don't see baseball players, you know, your highest level guys that train highest level baseball players. There's outliers. Uh, I'm not going to give any endorsements, but the guy in the Northeast, um, there's a couple. You know, they do a good job. But you don't see them blowing snot rockets and dead and 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 barbell benching, you know, massive amounts of weight. So, um, you know, that's something to look at. And then we address the core every time that we come in. Rotational strength and rotational power correlates to bat speed and arm strength. So we are doing that, you know, and it's it's getting these guys in there and and teaching. There's a big learning curve. So getting them all the tools that they need to make the changes that they, they need to make. So that's what's going on. As I said, I have the, I have baseball players right now at the high school, college, and pro level. They're all follow the same fundamental, you know, principles of how to improve a baseball player. It's just tailored accordingly. So can't do as much with the freshman in high school. You could do more with the pro baseball player. But we know how to scale that up and down to make sure everybody is getting the program that they need. Yeah, no, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, the thing I love about baseball too, and it'll be kind of exciting to see, is like it is very the analytically driven now. So just being able to see like the jumps that the guys in the gym make 
you know, throughout the next five months, they'll be, uh, they'll be pretty cool. I mean, football, you know, they're like, oh, how much faster did you get? Or like, how much more can you bench now? But baseball, I mean, exit velocity, all that stuff. It's nice to see like the stats just like translate over. Yeah, we got a, we got a kid right now. We'll leave unnamed to leave names out, but he started, um, he's two years deep. So he came in and he was, I don't know, around 145 pounds and he ran a 7860 which is not optimal um but the kid's a worker he just he's grinded out he grinded through covid and we're two years later and all he's been doing is working on his craft and perfecting it he just ran you know a 68 so he went a 78 you're not going anywhere to play he's i believe a junior in high school right now and now so he went from a 78 he took a second off his 60 now some of that hormonally puberty i get it but puberty doesn't take you from completely off the map speed to a, you know that 68 puts him at the two, the d2 level as far as speed and then if and he still has upside cuz he's still growing so part look part of it was hormonal and part of it was me and part, i mean it was all the kid you know i just gave him the tools and he was super motivated he's doing the right things we're working on his starts and speed is a skill that can be trained so now we're right there. He's ahead of schedule, and I think he could be, you know, a low six seven guy. And now he has D one speed. But if he never did any of this, maybe I'm just full of myself. But he might not have ran a six eight. Maybe yeah. he ran a seven. Maybe hormones went through, and he went from a seven eight to a seven one, or you know, a seven flat. But that's still not where you need to be. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, a whole second. That's that's crazy. It doesn't nice. sound like a lot, but to give you an idea, when I worked with NFL, or <clears throat> I don't do it as much anymore, but when I was preparing NFL guys, we would work five hundred or forty hours a week for ten weeks, four hundred hours of time put in to get it down two tenths of a second, three tenths of a second. Now, if you look at that total volume and you don't make it, it was their nine to five job. So really you could take 40 hours a week and split that up. Most athletes in a training week are spending five to 10 hours. They're spending four times the amount. Really, you're looking like, you know, six, eight, 10 months to trim that small amount of time. The difference between a four five in football and a four seven is the difference between a D one running back and a D two or a D three running back. It's two tenths of a second. The difference between in a 60 for baseball, the difference between uh, checking the box to be a college middle infielder and uh, and not is two tenths of a second. So when we're if we look at average 60 improvement for us, it's, you know, two to four tenths a second in a in a three month block or a six month block. Um, what you're doing is you're you're improving your speed to be in the category of what you need to play at that specific level. That's not the only measuring tool. I just took one and hyperanalyzed it. But the same goes for exit velocity and the same kid's exit velocity. I believe now we're at 86. He started at 74. So he's plus 12. Where does he need to be? You know, 90, 92. But if you if you plot you know, his, his trends and what he's doing. I mean, he's going to get there. He's going to get there because of all the time that he put in to try and get there. Nothing natural. You know, so, Hey, some guys, you're genetic freaks. They don't, because there's people that don't pick up, have never picked up a weight and we're in our hall of famers. 
but we're not dealing with that right now. There's very few genetic codes that allow you to do absolutely nothing and 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 be where you need to be. If you're that, then I turn this off. You don't need it. But that that don't turn it off because be less lazy and pick up a weight and just think how you know who you would be. I I fucking hate LeBron James, but you want a guy with a, that was gifted one in a million genetic code, and you add in his work ethic. Jordan's better. Uh, it's Jordan Le- is better. LeBron James spends million millions of dollars, two million dollars in a year to take care of his body. I don't even like him. Did I? Did Did you catch that? Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah, you did. I okay. Think. <laughs> but I respect the fact he's smart. He gets it. He's managing his load. He's doing everything. Unfortunately, LeBron James, everything that I've talked about today is everything that LeBron James does times 10 at that level every year. And that's why he's 36. I don't know. Something like that. He's kind of starting to get up there, but it's just, I mean, you're right. He, uh, I mean, a lot of people get on him for it, and I mean, it's hard to argue against it. Like, he's just been there for so long, and he's not really fallen off at all. And part of it is he take care. He takes care of it. I mean, genetically, freak, but he added all that other stuff. I mean, Jamarcus Russell was a genetic freak. Oh, I mean, not, not zero work ethic. He you see how him, that turns out. He ate himself out of being a genetic freak, I believe, but... But yeah, I mean, I don't think he had, there wasn't a lot of off-season training videos for him. Nope. I remember I would just look at it. When everybody goes back to camp, you read the reports, and it was always, Jamarcus Russell uh, came in 275. Everything was was some basically him being fluffy. He would always just report fluffy, and it would always be a problem. Just stop, just stop eating, bro. So, but it didn't matter because he made what 20, 30 million, I'm sure. Yeah, something like that. And he's good. So. Great college career. 